This past week was a really exciting time around here. On Monday, we pulled out all the Christmas decorations uh, that we had in storage, and our decor team spent a couple of days making this place look amazing as they decorated for Christmas. So I want to say a huge thank you to Nicole Fluker and Kristen Froze for all their work. So let's thank them for that. So growing up, the tradition in my home growing up was that this is exactly when we would start our decorating for Christmas. We would start the days before First Advent, and we'd set up with some table decorations, and we would set up with our Advent wreath and the candles, and uh, we'd wait to set up the tree until about 10 days before Christmas. We couldn't set up the tree any earlier because we had a real tree. And finally, we switched to a fake tree which was, uh, helped a lot of things. With fake trees, you can set up the trees whenever you want because they're not going to die on you. The needles don't dry up and fall to the ground and cause a fire hazard. I remember one year uh, where we had a snowstorm in April or May, and I got home from work that day, and Melanie and the boys had set up the Christmas tree to celebrate the snowy season that we were having. And they made it feel like Christmas in our home. It probably only stayed up for a day or maybe two. Uh, But you can do that when you have a fake tree. You can't do that with a real tree. So when do you set up for Christmas? Uh, Does anyone set up their tree on Christmas Eve? No one, I don't think. Uh, That's more of a traditional thing. Any December people? Set up your tree in December? A few. Any early adopters? Any November people? Set up your tree in November. Some people get upset at that, but that's okay. When our boys were little, we figured out that we needed to do holidays a bit differently. Uh, We have a bunch of food allergies in our home, and so it was pretty much impossible for us to take the boys trick-or-treating on Halloween. Because everything the boys would get would either have gluten or corn or dairy, and so there was no point. And so early on, we decided that the best way to spend Halloween was to set up our Christmas tree. So out came the tree and the decorations, and we put on Christmas music, and we had hot chocolate and cookies. So for us, Christmas always starts on October 31st. And, and, and don't worry, we always made sure that our blinds were shut. Our neighbors would think that we're kind of crazy, and I'm sure some of you are rolling our eyes at, at me right now, but you have to adapt when normal things don't work for you. Uh, This year, we had another new experience on October 31st. We were, like normal, we're setting up for Christmas, and we set up the tree and the decorations and put on the lights. And as we were putting decorations on the tree, my wife, Melanie, started to react to the tree that had been in a storage bin all year. And I'm not sure exactly what was causing it, but her hands started to burn whenever she touched the tree. And her breathing was really affected as the smell from the tree, I guess. So this year on October 31st, we set up the tree. And then we packed it all back up. Because we couldn't keep it set up in the living room. Usually people wait until after Christmas to take down the decorations to undeck the halls. Uh, For some, that's right after December 25th. But sometimes uh, life changes that. Sometimes in the midst of life, you just want to look at all the holiday decorations and you just want to take them all down. 
You're just not in a place of wanting to celebrate or to decorate or to go to parties. Sometimes things happen that make holidays different than you first expected. And it's not just the holidays. Sometimes things happen that make life different than what you first expected. And when you bring together real life with all of its challenges and its disappointments, and you try to mesh that with the picture of Christmas that our culture gives us, it just doesn't fit. And sometimes you just want to undeck the halls and put everything away and just not do Christmas. Sometimes things are different than you'd expect. I started on staff here about two years ago. And since then, I've met a lot of people. And if I've met you only in the last couple of years, you probably haven't met my wife, Melanie. Melanie and I met here at SunWest, and we were younger adults in our early 20s. So if you're trying to do the math, uh, this would have been in 1996. I was on staff as the part-time worship pastor back then. And Melanie and I met, and we fell in love, and we got married in 1998. We have two sons, and you probably know them or recognize them. Zachary's here in Calgary and helps out with media on Sundays. And Michael was on staff this summer and was one of our summer interns. Uh, He was on for June and July, and then in August, he got married to our new daughter-in-law, Esther, and they live in Abbotsford. I don't know if you've heard any stories about them. Rumors sometimes get out, Um, but I just want to set the record straight that yes, Rumors are true. They're expecting a baby in late spring, uh, in May, and that makes Melanie and me grandparents, which is actually pretty crazy, uh, but we're really excited about that after we got over the shock. We were very excited about that. Today, I want to tell you a little bit about Melanie's story. When Melanie was in school, she loved track and field. She was the fastest girl runner in her class. Well, That was unless Agatha beat her. There was always this good, healthy rivalry between Melanie and Agatha, always putting them as the top two fastest runners. But in one week, all that changed. Melanie went from winning the races to not being able to finish the races. Her legs were in so much pain, they would just give out. For about a year during grade seven, uh, doctors tried something, and they tried putting her right leg in a cast, Uh, But that didn't help ease the pain. In grade 10, the pain was so bad that she couldn't walk the stairs at school. And so she did a year of school by correspondence. The doctors, first of all, called it growing pains. uh, But after many years of specialist appointments, she was later diagnosed with fibromyalgia. After high school, Melanie went to Concord College in Winnipeg to further her piano training. She was in grade 10 piano, uh, so she's playing at a very high level, And during that year, she had to step down from playing because her wrists were in so much pain from practicing. Uh, And so instead of playing piano, she became the most overqualified page turner. Uh, She could still attend all the concerts and recitals, but she had to give up actually playing piano. And that was so life-giving for her. When I met Mel, she was in her early 20s, and I've never known her as a piano player. I've never known her as a runner. Those things were only part of her life before I met her. But what I did find out about her was that she was single. So I got to know a bunch of her story, 
And in addition to fibromyalgia, she was also very sensitive to smells. I remember walking with her in the mall, and suddenly she would let go of my hand, and she would start running as we approached the perfume department in Sears. And she'd cover her nose and her mouth, and she would just run through. And, and I didn't really know what was going on. I just kind of found it funny. And, and I found it kind of cute. And when Melanie is around chemicals like pesticides and herbicides, perfumes and colognes, uh, cleaners, laundry detergent, when she's around those things, her breathing is affected. Her body will shake sometimes uncontrollably. And at times, her legs will lose all strength and they just give out. Sometimes her emotions are affected and she starts to cry. And, and I don't know what you are like in that situation, but my wife cries sometimes. But this is a different type of cry. It's like this, this wailing type of cry. And again, it's the impact of chemicals on her system. And it's taken on a slow journey of change where we've tried to make our home as safe and as chemical-free as possible. 2019 was the start of another rough season. She started to feel some new symptoms and things seemed to be ramping up to a new level. And in January of 2020, we ended up in emergency three times in two weeks with her breathing. Uh, She wasn't able to breathe. And her tongue was swelling up. One of those times was a 911 call in the middle of the night. And as the ambulance drove away, taking Mel to the hospital, I remember wondering if I was going to lose her. Her reactions were coming on so quickly and so severely. It was a terrifying time for us. In 2021, Melanie was diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS. That's what it's called. And this explained a bunch of what she had been dealing with. Not everything, but it helped us understand more of what was going on. So if you're allergic to something, and you come in contact with that allergen, your body will release a mediator, and that starts the allergic reaction. It could be itching, it could be inflammation, or a swelling of the tongue. If you have MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome, your mast cells release those mediators even when you're not, uh, not allergic to anything. It just happens. You're having a reaction, but you're not necessarily allergic to anything. If your body comes into contact with something foreign, you start to react. Foods can end up being a huge trigger of histamine. And so over the years, Melanie's had to cut out a large number of foods. She loves to eat. She loves to bake. And so having an extremely limited diet is very hard for her. Melanie's reactions have only increased over the years, and our family has had to adapt again and again to a new normal, to a new diagnosis, to a new reality. And over the years, Melanie has had to give up running, playing piano, uh, a career as a draftsperson, singing on worship team, attending church, giving up many foods that she loves to eat. Many areas of her life have been impacted. So as you can imagine, holidays have been different for us for a long time. When things don't go as you expect, when things don't go according to your plans and dreams, you have to work at celebrating differently. So if you take away the lights and the trees, and you pack it all back up on Halloween night, 
and you take away the parties and the presents, what's left? What does Christmas mean? What does that celebration look like? Well, I would suggest that nothing changes. In fact, I would say that putting those pieces of Christmas that we love to celebrate with, and we set those aside, we just might be in a better place of hearing from God some things that he wants to remind us of this Christmas. Our stories are all different. Your story is different than mine. Whether it's grief, disappointment, sickness, financial struggles, job loss, relational breakup, the impact of Christmas doesn't depend on those struggles going away. Christmas embraces us. And in some ways, we're closer to the Christmas message as we walk through our stories, no matter what challenges they bring. Today is First Advent. And as we've already heard, it begins for us a season of waiting. And why do we have this yearly rhythm of waiting built into our Christmas season? It's not a season of waiting for presents or waiting for the parties. It's a season where, just like the Israelites, we're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for God to reveal himself to us more and more. Jesus is called Emmanuel. God is with us. And as hard as it can seem, God is with us in all the areas of our life. That can seem confusing. It seems confusing to say that God is with us in our disappointments. If that's the case, why doesn't God just change it or heal it? or give it, or restore it. Well, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. When I say that God is with us in all the areas of our lives, I'm saying that God hasn't forgotten us. That God remembers us. That God remembers our story. The song that Kurt danced to is called Deliver Us. And it tells the story of the cry of the Israelites from 400 BC until the birth of Christ. As Israel was experiencing, they were falling to Babylon and then to the Greeks and then to the Egyptians. And during this time, tradition says that God was silent. That from the last stroke of the pen writing the stories of the Old Testament, when that last word was written, 400 years of silence began. It's the period of time between the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament. No scripture was written during that time. And during this 400 years, the people of Israel called out for God to deliver them. They still held on to all their religious traditions, but they were waiting for their deliverer to come, for their Messiah to come, for God to come and change things. Deliver us. Deliver us, O Yahweh, hear our cry, and gather us beneath your wings. In Luke 1 and 2, we read about Luke's retelling about the the birth story of Jesus. And after Jesus was born, like every good Jewish boy, he was circumcised and his parents gave him his name. And then Mary and Joseph followed the law of Moses by taking Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. He would have been a week or two old at that time. And there in the temple, there was a lady named Anna. And we're going to look at her story a little bit this morning. 
Luke 2. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. And then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Dot, dot, dot. So here's an old lady. She's widowed at a young age, has only been married for seven years, and we can probably assume that she's been widowed for a very long time. If that's all we knew about Anna, how would we write the next verse? I think when Anna dreamt about her life as a young woman, she probably had dreams of a, of a long life with a loving husband. She probably imagined a growing house of kids and grandkids, a home with way more laughter than tears. And I think we can assume that Anna's dream for her story didn't include sickness or sorrow or grief or disappointment. But you have to adapt when normal things don't work for you. What does disappointment do to your story? It brings about the question, does God see us? Does God see me? One of the names of God in the Bible is Adonai Elroy. In fact, the name Adonai Elroy is only used once in the Bible. And it's way back in Genesis 16 by Hagar. Hagar is another woman in the Bible whose life doesn't turn out the way that she had initially hoped and dreamed. Hagar was the slave of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah were getting old and had, had not been able to have kids. So Sarah suggested to Abraham that he sleep with her slave Hagar in order to have a child to carry on the family line. So Hagar, or Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and she becomes pregnant. And this pregnancy creates a huge rift between Hagar and her masters. Hagar ends up fleeing Abraham and Sarah, and she ends up in the desert. And there she meets the angel of the Lord. Genesis 16, verse 11. It says, The angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And the story continues. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. So Hagar recognizes that God sees her, and then she names God, Adonai Elroy, the God who sees me. In the midst of disappointment and a life story that she hadn't planned or hoped for, Hagar encounters God, and she names God based on the experience that she's having. In the midst of a storyline that veers way off of the track of life that she had hoped for, Hagar encounters God and calls him the God who sees me. In the 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament, Israel asked, does God see me? In the 84 years of disappointment, Anna asks, does God see me? And when our lives come with unexpected surprises, with disappointment, we ask, does God see me? It's hard in the midst of silence and disappointment to fathom the name Adonai Elroy. 
Is God really watching? Is he paying attention? Has he turned his face away? Or has he just closed his eyes? King David had similar thoughts and questions, and he wrote about it in Psalm 139. He says, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is light to you. Even when we can't see God, he sees us. For some, that's a very comforting thought. God sees me. God hasn't forgotten me. God knows me, and he knows my name. But for some, and I'm sure some in this room, God seeing us isn't necessarily a comforting thought. Is it even possible for God to see and not act? Is it possible for God to see and not speak? Is it possible for God to see and not change or heal or restore and provide in ways that we've hoped and dreamt about? It begs the question, should I be doing something different? Why don't I hear him? Why don't I feel him? We pray regularly for healing for Melanie's health. And we haven't seen healings in the ways that we hoped that we would. Maybe you've prayed those prayers as well. Your story may be different. Maybe your story is like Anna, losing a loved one. Maybe you've lost a job and you're just not looking forward to Christmas because it's going to look very different this year. So let's go back to Anna. She's in the temple. She's old. Her husband has died, and they'd only been married for seven years, and she's now 84 years old. If we had to fill in the rest of the story, what would we assume? I've probably hinted at it enough. But Anna knew that God saw her. And not just with eyes that see, but with eyes of love and compassion and grace. She did not leave the temple but was serving and worshiping the night, night and day with fastings and prayers. She too came up at that very moment and began praising and giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all who were looking for the redemption and deliverance of Jerusalem. Anna didn't let her experience change her perspective. Don't get me wrong, her experiences were very difficult. But her perspective remained focused on the Lord. She went to the temple and she prayed and she worshipped. Who are you when everything around you is, and in you is calling for disappointment? When things don't go according to the plan that you had? Anna didn't let her experience change her perspective. She worshipped and she prayed. And she knew Adonai Elroy, the God who sees me. Now, when we think about seeing, we think about the experience that our eyes give us. Seeing lets us see what's in the room, see what's in the world around us. But when Scripture tells us that God sees us, there's more going on. Roy, in Hebrew, speaks of seeing in the context of being a shepherd. And a shepherd doesn't just passively see the sheep. A shepherd doesn't just watch the sheep. A shepherd watches out for the sheep. 
He watches to make sure there's plenty of grass for the sheep to feed on. He watches out for danger, for predatory animals who may be coming to attack. When God sees us, it's not just that that we are passing before his eyes. And when Hagar was trying to think of the best name to call God, she said, Adonai Elroy, the God who sees me, like a shepherd who sees his sheep and provides for them, protects them. That's how God saw Hagar. That's how we saw Anna. And that's how he sees us. He sees our struggles and our disappointment. And he comes alongside us. We see this all through the Bible. God sees those that our society often chooses not to see. He sees the lepers. He sees the blind. He sees the demon-possessed. Jesus sees the Samaritan woman at the well, and he lets her know that he sees her, that she has not been forgotten. It seems that all throughout Scripture, God chooses to see the unseen. And here's the good news. What Israel waited 400 years for is here for us today. What Anna waited 84 years for is here for us today. As we encounter God, our experiences of hurt, disappointment, and bitterness turn to experiencing God's presence, his peace, and his comfort. Anna could have lived her life focused on crushed dreams and unmet expectations. But she spent her life in prayer and worship, knowing that there was a God that saw her. Instead of worrying, she prayed. Instead of focusing on crushed dreams, she went to the temple to worship. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The NIV talks about the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I love that. I love that we will experience peace that exceeds anything that we can understand. I know what I understand. You know what you understand. We understand sickness. We understand grief and disappointment. There might be a situation going on that hasn't changed yet. The healing hasn't come. The grief is still very real. The broken dreams and unmet expectations are still broken. Things that may, not, or that may or may not ever change on this side of eternity. But God's peace transcends all of that. It exceeds the pain and the disappointment. The Christmas story may not change our story, but it changes where God is in our story. The parts of your story that bring about disappointment may or may not change. We still live on this side of eternity, don't we? Things aren't perfect yet. But as we focus and turn our eyes towards Adonai Elroy, the God who sees me, who 
watches me, who, who like a shepherd, watches out for his sheep. It changes where God is in our story. And it allows us to recognize that our waiting doesn't need to be wasted time. We're going to close with the song, Raise a Hallelujah. We've sing it here often. And it's a song that leads us in worship even when we find ourselves in the storm, in disappointment, in the night. And I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. Why don't we stand together? And the invitation this morning is to, to bring your story to the Lord in worship today and invite God to show himself to you and to show you where he is in your story. Let's pray together. God, we know that we live on this side of eternity where we We'll see evidence of your kingdom coming in power, but we know that it will not be perfect until heaven. We thank you that even in that spot where we live with our stories, and we all have different stories, uh, Lord, we know that you come and that you see us. And so, Lord, I pray that in a special way for those who are, uh, who are hurting today, that you would speak your words you would remind us that you see us, that you have not forgotten us. You walk with us through this week and through everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming. Just a reminder that we will have prayer teams here at the front. Uh, and if you want to pray with them, uh, thank you and see you next week.